Before we get into today's show, I just wanted to let you know about our new podcast that I'm so excited about called Mindbenders. It's a podcast about stories of synchronicity that can bend minds. You can find Mindbenders podcast at Spotify, Apple podcast, and mindbenderspodcast.com. Submit your mind-bending story today by emailing us at mindbenders at path11productions.com or by calling us. Leave your story on our voicemail. It's okay if it's a long one. We'll call you back. 1-323-713-1113. Again, that's 1-323-713-1113. Also, the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Awareness Conference has ended, but the replays are still available at path11productions.com slash ac2020. For $129, you can watch just over 17 hours of streamed videos from professionals including Robert Moss, Austin Wells, Edie Nathan, Brian Smith, and Daniel 4 PhD, just to name a few of the presenters. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 to see the complete list. Topics include dealing with grief, working with death doulas, psychic children, and suicide. These videos won't last forever, but they can be watched anytime at your convenience until September 30th, 2020. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 for all the information. And if you haven't seen our documentaries yet, the Path Series Trilogy, you can watch all three for free at Gaia.com. Just sign up for their one-week free trial. You can cancel at any time and watch The Path Afterlife, The Path Beyond the Physical, and The Path Evolution. Oh, and before we get into our show, I wanted to remind you to use your 25% off discount code PATH2PORTAL, all caps, PATH, the number two portal, path to portal at reconnection.com for trainings by Dr. Eric Pearl. They absolutely loved being on our show and they wanted to give back to our listeners. So you guys are lucky and are getting 25% off if you go to their website, reconnection.com. All of these links are listed in the show notes for today's episode. So enough of all these announcements, let's get to our show for today. And thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I am really excited about our guest today because we also have a really exciting announcement that we are going to be launching Path 11 TV in November, path11tv.com. And our guest today, Dr. Karen Wyatt, is going to be joining Terry Daniel. She's been on our show before. She's also the founder of the Afterlife Awareness Conference. And they both do a podcast called Ask Dr. Death. So if you haven't checked out that podcast, I would encourage you guys to head on over over, but they are also going to be featured on the Path 11 TV. So I am very excited to introduce you guys to her through the Path 11 podcast, and you'll come to learn more about her and the work that she does with Terry Daniel um, on Path 11 TV. So today we are going to talk about her book, and it is The Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying. So we're going to go over what those seven lessons are, but I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Dr. Wyatt. She's a family physician who has spent much of her 20-year career as a hospice medical director caring for dying patients in their home. Dr. Wyatt has lectured and written extensively on end-of-life issues with an emphasis on the spiritual aspect of illness and dying. 
and she recently retired from medical practice to focus her efforts on creative healing, a project to explore the integration of spirituality and Western medicine. And we are going to dive into her book here as well. And Karen also has a pretty personal story of how she actually came to work for hospice, and it was a pretty, pretty project pretty tragic death that had happened with her dad. So Karen, uh, welcome to the Path Love and Podcast. I'm a little tongue-tied this morning, clearly. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, thank you so much for joining us and for joining uh, the Path Love and TV that we're going to be launching this fall. I'm really excited to have you uh, be a part of that. Thank you so much, April. It's, a, it's my pleasure to, to be here talking with you today. Yeah, I, I actually learned quite a bit um, reading your book, and I loved how you had a lot of, um, you know, study and interest in some of the aspects of the Bible. And I actually learned some things about the seven spoken words that Jesus had said, and I had never heard of that before. I'm not well read in the Bible. I know kind of bits and pieces. So I just found that part that was integrated into your book really fascinating. And um, so, but I would like us to start with your really deep personal story about your dad's death and how that brought you to make this spontaneous phone call, which when I read it, I got goosebumps of the synchronicity between you and hospice and your background profession and what they were looking for and what had happened to the hospice um, place that you had called, like, what was it, 30 minutes before you called or something mm -hmm. that had happened. So I would love for you to uh, share with our listeners a little bit about that, that death that happened with your dad and how it transformed your life and brought you down this path. Okay. Well, I was trained to be a family doctor. So just a, a general practice doctor seeing all patients of all ages. And I was brand new in that practice, had my own clinic seeing patients and was very happy doing that work. But about three years into it, I got the phone call that my dad had died by suicide. And it was particularly devastating as any suicide death would be, of course, sure. as a daughter, um, having my dad die in that way. But as a doctor who had trained particularly in psychology and psychiatry as part of my residency training, and I treated a lot of patients with depression and helped patients who were suicidal. So I was racked with guilt that I couldn't help my dad. And I had training in this area. So it was very devastating to me. And I really got lost in my grief and guilt over his death and could not find my way out of it. I just, I really wondered if I should continue being a doctor or not, because I thought maybe I'm a terrible doctor. I couldn't save my own father. How could I ever save another patient? And so, so I floundered for about three years and then one day, just sitting in my backyard, I heard a voice in my head, which I don't always tell everyone, but I, I heard, heard a voice say, call hospice. And at that time, I wasn't very familiar with hospice or what it did. I just, I honestly didn't, I didn't even know if our community had a hospice <laughs> because that's how little I knew about it. But I kind of trust that kind of guidance when I receive it. So I went inside 
and looked in the yellow pages and found that indeed we had a hospice. So I just called them out of the blue and asked, you know, is, do you have any kind of volunteer work? I saw, I knew somehow hospice was an answer for me. And I, I so I said, do you, is there any volunteer work I could do? I'm a doctor. I don't know if I could offer you anything. And the woman on the other end of the call, who was the director of the hospice said, what made you call us right now? And I said, I really don't know. I didn't want to tell her that I heard a voice <laughs> that told me to call. So, uh, and she said, because our medical director just resigned 30 minutes ago and we can't keep our doors open unless we have a doctor here to oversee our work and sign all of our orders. And we didn't, we were frantic. We didn't know what we were going to do. And then you called us. And so just like that, she asked me to be their medical director sight unseen, even though I knew absolutely nothing about hospice. But on that day, I became a volunteer medical director for hospice, and it completely changed my life. I had a lot of learning to do about caring for dying patients, but the moment I saw my first patient in their home and sat with them, I knew instantly that this was the kind of medicine I was always meant to practice all along, and that I, it's, it's as if I, I found my home and where, where I belonged and where I was meant to be. So it was a really powerful moment for me. And over the years, I began to see how my dad's death was actually leading me to change my path and to, to go where I needed to be. Yeah. But it, it was a painful process to get there. And how old were you when you made that call to hospice? So I was in my um, late 30s when I made that call. And how many years after, or was that soon after your dad um, had passed? Yeah, about three years after three he, years. after he died. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what you just said a couple of seconds ago about how, like, your dad's death kind of propelled you into this work, um, and maybe how you've kind of made sense of that because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners uh, on on our pod you know, who listen our, to our podcast that have lost uh, family members, loved ones to suicide. And how do you begin to, you know, make sense of that? How do you heal from that? Um, because it just is, it's so loaded with so many different things. And I, I'd love for you it's, to talk more about that. Yeah, it's, it's such a complex death because as I was saying, that blend of guilt and grief, and I think everyone who loses someone to suicide carries with them that burden of wondering, could I have done something that would have changed this or made a difference? And so that was the biggest obstacle for me to overcome with, with my dad. And it took me a lot of years before I could look back and see how the pieces fit together. I, I knew when I got to hospital, that that's where I was meant to be. I knew it was going to help me and that being with dying patients and, and actually even confronting my own fear of death by, by helping people who were in that process of dying. I knew that was part of it for me as well. Um, but over the years, I began to see that sometimes it's these very powerful tragic, painful experiences that happen in life that are really asking us to just question everything that we had accepted before. And 
to be open to something brand new coming into our lives. And that became clear to me over time. And down the road, you know, as the, the whole story is, as I was working with these dying patients, I was learning so much, so many spiritual lessons and getting the message that ultimately I would need to write about them in a book. And I remember when my book was finished, when I finally finished writing it, I looked down and I said, look what we did, dad. And at that moment, I mean, that spontaneously came for me, but I realized my dad had really been my silent partner in a way, helping me move into a new path and opening me through this great suffering that I experienced into all these new lessons and this wisdom that I was able to learn. Yeah, and and hence the birth of this book, right? Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, so maybe we can, uh, let's move into this a little bit, because I know that uh, for you, the Catholic religion wasn't acceptable in the sense that when you were searching for answers, you delved into more spirituality after your dad had passed to try to make sense of this, to understand it, and that in that religion, it was kind of like, well, anybody that commits suicide goes to hell. And I remember you saying in that book, and I felt it was such conviction, like, that was unacceptable to me. There's just no way. Um, and then that kind of led you on on more of your spiritual path. So I'll let you kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Yes. Well, I had, I, I was raised in actually the Lutheran tradition, but which is, you know, have similar beliefs to Catholicism. And, um, so had always kind of accepted those beliefs as part of my path and hadn't really looked into other other religions or other spirituality. But it became very important to me as I was working with dying patients to be aware that there's so much more, there's so much more than any one religion can teach us. And I felt like that's one of the ways I was being expanded through this work with the dying to see there's a higher consciousness and something so much greater than any one religion alone can convey. And I began to see every religion worships the same God, which is this spirit, this divine energy that I was coming into contact with through patients. And that it made sense that every religion was just a different perspective on the same thing, a different perspective on God and a different perspective on life and how we're going through life and learning about life. And so I wanted to incorporate in this book some some of the wisdom teachings from various religions in order to show that, that all religions are really helping people through the same kinds of issues in life, no matter where we live, no matter um, what we what we believe in or what we've been taught all religions are actually are actually working to teach us wisdom and help us get through these passages in life yeah yeah and and i would agree with you totally it's like they're all kind of saying the same thing in some different ways um and how would you say you know because my sense is that you've had contact with your dad how do you know for sure that you know let's just say if we do have a listener that um you know subscribes to some of that belief system and maybe has somebody that committed suicide in their life how do you know that your dad did not go to this place that some call hell well um i have had and and this has been common for me even through hospice work of um connecting with some of the patients and also other loved ones after they die through dreams. And so several times I have my dad visit me in dreams after he died. And each time he was a younger man when I saw him and he was 
absolutely beautiful and full of light and just glowing. And each time he came to me with some sort of a message or some, he came at times when I needed reassurance or uh, I, I was feeling worried or upset about something and he would show up in my dreams and I would have some really just a profound dream, uh, with him in it. And, uh, and so I came away always knowing that he's just there. He's there in, in one of my dreams. In fact, I saw him in my house following me and walking around the house and watching over all of us in our family. And so, um, for me, that's not just a belief. It's, that was a knowing that I, I know, I know that he's there. So it's hard to explain it to people who haven't experienced something like that. But sure. Yeah. And, you know, my cousin just a couple of days ago, her mom has passed and she called me and said, I just I had this beautiful dream of my mom and your mom. And they were so young. Everything that you just said about your dad, they were so vibrant. They were glowing, you know, Um, and it's it's funny. I hear a lot of people say that, that when uh, they're visited through dreams by their loved one, that the loved one tends to look much younger and healthy and vibrant, not where they were at the end stage of death. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, um, during my hospice work, I would actually have dreams of some of my patients and who I, I only knew them in their last few weeks of life. So I didn't even know what they looked like when they were younger, but I would have dreams of them. And when I would attend their funeral or memorial service, I'd see photographs of them, you know, throughout, throughout life. And I'd realize, yep, that's who I saw. That's who I saw in my dream. I saw them when they were younger. And so for me, it was just so reassuring and so uh, so eye-opening in a way to know that that we go through life sometimes not even aware that there is an afterlife and that there is something beyond death and we don't need to be so afraid of death and dying and it changes everything about how we how we feel about our loved ones who have died also and and our our ability and the possibility of still connecting with them yes yes absolutely so let's um talk about the seven lessons uh, that you highlight in the book and maybe um we can go over them uh, each in just a little bit, but there were a couple that I just really, I really loved um, specifically, I think it was the purpose and some of the surrender. So I'll ask you some questions when, when we get there, but can you explain to people like how you came up with these seven lessons, um, why these certain words and uh, what, what they mean and how, you know, our listeners can kind of take them and apply them into their life because this book is really about teaching the living how to live. And by using these seven lessons, it can create a really beautiful life. Yes. Well, it began by, as I, again, I said, sitting at the bedside of people who were dying and listening to them talk about their lives and how, well, how their lives look to them looking backward from, from the, t- the end of life when they were ready to die and, and what thing, what questions they had, what things they had learned, um, what they were wondering about or regrets they had and things they wish they had done differently, being able to talk with them and hear them as they explored all all of these issues was so powerful for me not being at that place. It's hard to imagine how will I feel or what will I think about? So these lessons really came from after patient, after patient, after patient, and all of this experience of listening and learning from them that it began to come together in my mind that each person seemed to be dealing with some of the same issues. Uh, they, they all seem to be confronting these issues. And as far as, 
purpose goes, that's one question people always had. What has been the purpose of my life? Why did I come here? And did I accomplish my purpose? I saw each one of them struggle with that. And wondering now that it's time to die, did I did I do what I was supposed to do while I was here? And what occurred to me over time after watching all of these patients is that that we think that our purpose is something that we're supposed to do, a, a job we're supposed to have, or a career or something we should create, but that uh, it's really about growing to be the best person we can be. That's really why we're here. And we can do that in a number of different ways through many different occupations or through one specific career that we choose. And that's the thing I saw many of my patients come to realize is that I was really here to learn more about love, about how to love other people. That's what I was here for. And so that was powerful for me to kind of let go of some of my worries, like, am I doing enough? Did I do it right? Did I accomplish enough? Have I had enough success? It's not about any of those things. It's about, can I be the my best self, be who I am and be the best person I can be and learn, learn the lessons of life and what I came here to learn and especially about love. Yeah. And, uh, the one, uh, part that I have in your book, it's uh, lesson five, lesson five is purpose, manifest your highest potential. And it is, uh, you quoted Titnat Han, your purpose is to be yourself. You don't have to run anywhere to become someone else. You are wonderful just as you are. And as you were talking about, you know, after your dad's death, you even questioned, should I still continue to be a doctor? And, you know, that made me think, too, that, you know, maybe you were thinking that your purpose was to be a doctor, to help people in that in that state. And sometimes when we go through events like this, it could really make us question our identity or what the ego is attached to or who we are. And I just, I don't know, just to read that your purpose is to be yourself, it felt like immediately that took the pressure off of me to be anything else but who who I am. You know, it's like all of these things that we latch on to, a podcast host, a filmmaker, a therapist, you know, for myself, it's like, no, really, I can benefit the world just by getting to know who I am and honor that and be that you know, the term that you're hearing a lot lately, be your authentic self. Uh, but really, that makes much more sense than to play a role per se, even though those are important. Like you said, you can find your purpose through other other means. But so much of the gift is to just give people of yourself, of who you are. Exactly. And, and that lesson alone has been so powerful for me at each stage of my life and my career as I've had to make changes because leaving medical practice was a huge step also to start writing books and do a podcast myself. And, but I had to go back to that. Remember, like just being in a medical clinic or working in an office or going to visit patients in their home. That's, that's that in itself isn't the purpose. It's how I'm learning about my purpose. It's how I'm becoming my best self, but it's okay when that shifts. It's okay when things change. And when the 
your situation changes for whatever reason and you move on to something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So I just wanted to let our listeners know that the seven, um, let me just get to them here, the seven lessons that you do have, uh, for us all, did you want to, you might be able to get them quicker than me. I don't have them memorized. One is love. Sure. Right? Okay. Sure. I got it. Suffering. Well, yeah. So we have suffering, love, forgiveness, presence, purpose, surrender, impermanence. It's a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Um, it starts with suffering because that is often the doorway into spiritual growth for all of us. We, we go through a tragedy like I did or some other kind of suffering or loss in life, or we just reach a point where we feel unhappy and we feel miserable. We, we don't feel like, like life has meaning or value for us. And I think, so I think that's the doorway for us to begin exploring spiritually and learning about why we're here and learning how, how to live life better and how to, to get more out of it and how to become our best selves. Yeah. What I loved about that chapter too, it was like embrace the suffering, you know, with some of the other um, like spiritual things that you had mentioned from other teachings. It's like, it's almost like it, it is good in one way to suffer, embrace it, feel it, go through it. Because when you come outside the other end, that's where some of these spiritual awakenings happen. You grow from it, you learn from it. And yet in our Western society, we are so quick to say, let's end it. Like, let's not go into our feelings. You shouldn't be sad. Let's not be depressed. Let's get you on medication. Let's uh, just kind of like not talk about this stuff. Let's forget about it and just try to get you to a place that's happy again. Yes. And so, so much of our marketing is based on, oh, but if you buy this, you'll be happier. If only you owned more stuff or had a bigger house, you would be happier. Get a new car. And uh, Western medicine does the same thing. Uh, when people go to medical doctors and talk about like, oh, I'm having this sadness inside, there's, there's no attempt to say, oh, maybe you're at a life transition point. Maybe that's what's happening. No one ever talks about that. And we try to cover it up and try to avoid it, but it's actually our greatest opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I loved a story too, when you were just talking about uh, objects and things and here, if you buy this, you'll be happier. You told a story about, it was a gentleman that was one of your hospice patients that was passing and he had accumulated a lot of things. And actually a lot of the homes that you have gone into, you know, the family will show you, you know, things that the um, person who is dying has collected and that you had found that when people are actively dying, that it's not about the things it's about the people that they love, the memories that they made. And he had actually said to you, I don't even want to talk about that, that means nothing anymore about, you know, these physical objects that we accumulate, that it really is more about the love and the connection and the relationships at the time of death that people are holding on to and focusing on rather than their trophies or their Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, that was powerful to come home and look at my shelves full of things that I've accumulated and that I've held onto and kept for years and years because I thought that they had value for me and to look at them differently and realize those things don't, that's not really what matters. Sometimes we keep them because they have memories attached to them, but, um, yeah, it, it helped me, helped me become less attached to, to my material possessions. Yeah. And how about forgiveness? Lesson three, hold no resentments. 
this one can be a tough one, um, especially maybe in circumstances where, because I, I felt like in that chapter, it was also giving some examples about maybe people that you had loved that had harmed you or trying to find forgiveness for people that you had loved. And the thought that came to my mind was, well, what if somebody did something to you and you didn't have a relationship with them and there wasn't love? How do you forgive somebody, um, say somebody that like murdered murdered a family member and there's no relationship or attachment before that happens. How do you find that deep forgiveness to be able to move on? Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest challenges we could have, or, you know, if someone we don't know, yeah, harms someone that we do love. Um, but I, I think, I think the way to look at it is that forgiveness is actually something we need to do for ourselves, for our own health and for our own growth. And one of the reasons we are reluctant to forgive sometimes is that we don't want to let give someone a free pass and say, Oh, well, it's okay that you did that. But forgiveness isn't really saying, um, it's okay. Or letting the other person off the hook because of the person who committed a crime or did something terrible, that's part of their path. And they will be, they will be dealing with the consequences of that in their life, whether we're angry with them or not, whether we forgive them or not. And forgiveness is really an act that we need to do, letting go of, of the pain and the anger that we're holding on to, because it only harms us to hold on to all those negative feelings. So if we ha it takes a while to work on it. And to be honest, I had to work on forgiving my father. I didn't realize in the beginning, but I was angry at him for taking his own life. Uh, I, I was angry at him for putting my family through so much pain and, and suffering. And it took a long time to be able to forgive that and let it go. So I think at some point we have to recognize this has happened. It's a reality. I can't go back and change it. I can't make it any different. I can't change the person who caused this or created it. All I can do is say, I've been asked to carry this now. I've been asked to carry this event that happened and this pain. And I want to find a way to carry it with as much grace as I can so that it doesn't harm me any more than the, the grief I've already been through and the pain I've already experienced. I don't want to spend my whole life destroying myself inside because I can't get over my own anger. And so I guess that's where I think it does take a lot of grace to be able to live with with the pain and the loss, but let go of, of the bitterness and the resentment around it. Yeah. And maybe can you talk a little bit more too, even though you said it had taken a while for you to forgive your dad, what do you think was a turning point that allowed you to let go of that anger towards him to forgive him? Was it an act of um, just feeling compassion for where he was and understanding his decision to, you know, need to do that or putting yourself in his shoes or what was it exactly that maybe helped to uh, release that anger for the I don't, I don't know. I've been talking to other people too about suicide and some people have said, well, it may look like a choice, but it may also be a part of the spiritual plan. So I'm still a little confused about that, but, um, well, yeah, I, um, a couple of things happened. There was a day and I, it took me a long time to be able to really look at it when in past part of a meditation, I looked at my dad's last day of life and I kind of, it was, was being in his shoes as you described, 
What was that like for him, those last hours that he was alive? And and also knowing that he'd experienced a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression. And so knowing that he was feeling all of this powerful emotion and kind of walking through his last steps. And I, I literally could begin to feel his pain. I, I, as soon as I opened myself to it, I could see just how much he had been suffering at that time. And I walked with him all the way through that day until it was the moment when he was ready to pull the trigger, which is how he died by um, a gunshot. Um, that I realized, like, I, at this point, I would not ask him to stay here one moment longer for me to stay, to stay in this pain and still be here in pain to make me feel better. And I realized this is his path and I have to allow him to live his path and fulfill his path. Many years after that, I also did see that same, that perhaps this was some kind of a life contract. Maybe he and I came here with this agreement somehow that he would take his life and it would have this profound impact on me. And that's how our paths were going to work together and intersect and not only on me, but so many other people that were affected by his death too. Uh, so again, it was a lot of a lot of processing, but allowing myself to to feel the pain of it and um, to really look at, look at the event because it was it was actually hard to even imagine imagine that last day of his life, and it took a while for me to get to get there. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, that and it, it almost says it reminds me a little bit even though you said you went into this meditation it almost feels like you merged his consciousness with his you know almost as if you were kind of doing um, you know I, I've taken a couple of classes on this where you can review the past database of people's lives of your life and kind of begin to see how the outcomes come and to me that meditation seems like a true merging of consciousness for you to be like you said almost in his mind and to walk through that day with him wow that is so powerful yeah because I think that was a question that had haunted me from the day he died is why why did he do this what why did he do it and I wanted an answer but it was when I did have that I guess merging is probably that's a really good way to describe it I could suddenly feel the pain and realize there may be other reasons why but with all of this pain that I understand he was feeling, I couldn't ask him to stay here a moment longer. I couldn't, couldn't ask him to bear that. Mm. Yeah. So a true, just understanding of the weight of all of that emotion and what that felt like. Wow. Wow. That's intense, real intense, Karen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, well then maybe that moves into, um, maybe six and seven of the lessons we're skipping over presence which is kind of about more of mindfulness and really trying to be in the present moment a lot of people are you know hearing about that to dwell in the present moment we talked a little bit about purpose and lesson six and seven surrender and impermanence so i mean death really shows us too um 
I loved reading in your book where you said, death is happening all around us every minute of every day, whether it's a leaf falling from a tree, um, poor little squirrels. I mean, how many squirrels do we see in up, upstate New York and New York that are like dead on the road, you know, but there's, I never really thought about that to take a look at, yeah, what has kind of died today around me and in nature, but you know, there is this impermanence, nothing is permanent. So, um, so yeah, would you like to talk a little bit more about surrendering and impermanence? Yeah, and I would say surrendering and letting go to letting go of my own attachments and my expectations. That was part of the process in a way too of dealing with my dad's death and being able to see that life has its own flow and its own rhythm and its own timing. It's going to happen in its own timing. And I honestly have very little control over any of that. And I, and I think again, Western society sometimes tells us that we have more control than we actually do. Or if you know, it tries to give us too tools to control things, but it's not real. We really don't have control as much as we wish we did. And that as soon as I stopped trying to control everything, I, I found so much more peace and I felt so much happier. And I, I didn't realize how much energy I expended every single day trying to make things work the way I wanted them to, trying to get people to do what I wanted, trying to make everything, everything work out according to my schedule. Once I let go of all of that, I just found so much more peace and being able to go with with things naturally, you know, and let things, Oh, if that didn't work today, fine, no problem. I'll move on. <laughs> and so, but so that's in just a more superficial way, but then spiritually in my own life to realize some, some things that I want are not going to work out. Some things I wish for won't happen. And I, I can let those go also and just be with whatever, whatever is happening right now in this moment. Yeah. And, and the impermanence, too, um, uh, you have there about, like, facing your fears and really facing death. And it sounds like your journey through hospice also relinquished maybe any fear that you have of dying. Yes, yes. And I really think that's a key. I think facing the fear of dying because we're we're mortals, we're, we're mortal creatures, just like everything else on the planet that's going to die. But we're the only, only living creatures who know that we will die. We have to carry with us that knowledge that we will die someday. And it's, it's frightening for us on the one hand, because it's the unknown and we're uncertain about it. But once we face that fear, it really frees us up in a lot of ways to be, to be more expansive, to feel more love, to enjoy the life we have more, and to acknowledge that not only will we die one day, we don't know when that will happen. We don't know how much time we will have. And so that helps us open up to this idea of enjoy whatever you have right now, because this might be your last. You don't know. So make the most of it and enjoy life each day as it comes to you. Yeah. It's so beautiful. This was a great book. Um, you, you also have, um, you know, part three, would you like to explain how you kind of separated this book where you showed people the lessons, but then you also have assignments that people can do and you really kind of bring the reader through their own journey. It's not just reading a book, but you give some practical application in this as well. Yes. That's something that, that became obvious to me. Um, 
over the years as I tried to write this book that you can't just learn things in your head. You have to put them into practice and use them in your life and apply those lessons in order to really learn it and really embody the lessons. So, so it took me a lot of years of working on all of these lessons to even be able to write the book. And I realized I should incorporate some of the things that I've used tools that I've learned from other people and that I, that I use still on a day-to-day basis that help me remember these lessons. So I thought maybe that would be a helpful appendix to have for those people who do want to want to dive further into these lessons and really make them part of life. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the book. I think it was wonderful. Job well done. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Uh you. And I'd also just like to ask and to honor your dad's name. Yeah. My dad, Clinton Wyatt. Clinton Wyatt. Okay. Yeah. We'll dedicate this podcast to him. Oh, Um, thank you. Gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. And can you also just um, let our listeners know before we wrap up just a little bit more about your podcasts uh, with Terry Daniel, Ask Dr. Death, and some of the other things that you offer, you know, through your own services website. I know you've retired from uh, the medical piece of it, but yeah, let our listeners know how they can follow you and what you're doing on that podcast and some of your other adventures. Yeah. Um, Terry and I decided to start Ask Dr. Death because she, she's a doctor of death in that she has, she has degrees in thanatology and then also a doctor of ministry. So she's really studied the spiritual aspect of dying um, and, uh, through, through all of her studies. And I have the medical doctor aspect of dying. So we have two different perspectives in some ways on death. And we've had so much fun coming together. Um, sometimes we answer people's questions and we interview guests together and it's been a good a good collaboration between us because we can we bring in diff- different areas of wisdom and knowledge and experience and um, can shed light on a lot of different issues. So that's been great. I have a a separate podcast also that I do myself called End of Life University. And so I interview guests who work in hospice and with dying patients on that podcast. And then I also teach some courses and I do uh, speaking for conferences when, when those are happening and going on in our world. So um, and, and I'm writing other books as well. So down the road in the future, I should have more, more to put out into the world. Yeah. Well, and we'll have you back on and we'll, I'll read more of your books and we'll, okay. <laughs> we'll discuss them. And, uh, our listeners are so awesome with, uh, the guests that we have on. We've gotten so much feedback from guests that have been on the podcast to say, Oh wow, one of your listeners actually called and asked for a session or is taking my course or, you know, reached out to me with a question that they had. So be prepared to have some path 11 podcast listeners reaching out to you. Um, they just love this, this topic. They eat it up. They are, seekers themselves. Um, so I'm really looking forward to them, uh, connecting with you. And, uh, and again, guys, her book is seven lessons for living from the dying, how to nurture what really matters. Dr. Karen Wyatt is with us today. So Karen, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And I'm really excited to work with you on Path 11 TV. I think you and Terry are going to have a great little segment on there. Um, and it's really going to add to some of the content that we have. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, April. It's been a real pleasure. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's show. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you to listen to our new podcast, Mindbenders. Visit mindbenderspodcast.com to hear my dad's synchronistic story. I hope it'll bend your mind about Jimi Hendrix. Then submit your story if you think it can bend our minds. Also be sure to check out the video replays of the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Conference. We have over 17 hours of amazing presenters exploring the survival of consciousness after death, working with hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, clergy, counselors, and alternative healers to offer a deeper understanding of death and beyond.